Howdy, folks, and thanks for tuning in to this episode of Rediscover the Winds, a Wyoming history podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Zach Larson. And I'm Kirsten Michael. We both work for the Fremont County Museum System, located in the heart of West Central Wyoming, where mountains and sagebrush deserts make up our backyards, and history goes deeper than uranium mines. As always, this episode is brought to you by Mick Pryor, a financial advisor with Edwards Jones. Whether you're planning for retirement, saving for college for children or grandchildren, or just trying to protect the financial future of the ones you care for most, work with Mick to develop specific strategies to help you achieve your goals. He can also help monitor your progress to make sure you stay on track and determine if any adjustments need to be made. So last month, we entertained listeners with stories of the population booms and busts of Fremont County, why they happened, which, as we discussed, was pretty much an over-reliance on natural resources for industry. But anyway, and how these population booms and busts affected Fremont County. We also talked about the upcoming federal population census and the history behind this once every 10 years tradition. This month, we've immersed ourselves in the 20s, the 1920s to be exact. We took a look at what it was like to live in Fremont County during the Roaring Twenties. Roaring. It's a really hard word to say. Roaring. Lots of R's. Roaring. (laughs) No other decade in Western society can boast a description like that. When you hear the phrase Roaring Twenties, Zach, what, what do you think about? Like, I don't know. Kids books always have lions that roar. Like the MGM lion. Yeah, it definitely it makes you think of lions, of loud noises, yeah. just lots of movement and... Bustle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a good way to describe the, uh, the political, the economic, and the social and technological changes that occurred during this decade in the United States. Some say the exuberant, freewheeling, popular culture of the 1920s, which saw national women's suffrage, an explosion of fashion, widespread disregard for laws, and the creation of jazz music and tons of master literary works, came about as a response to World War I. That dang jazz music that all those kids are listening to. Those youths. Those youths. Why, when I was their age. Mm. World War I officially ended in 1919, which brought about a sense of jubilation, but that conflict and other disasters left countries facing death tolls and social destructions unimaginable since the plague in the 1300s. So I actually put a lot of research into like figuring out when the world experienced such a massive just loss of... A, like Within four years, they lost millions of lives and i was trying to figure out where what kind of conflict what kind of natural disaster like reflected that and yeah just to put into that perspective the black death killed an estimated 25 million people in europe and 40 million people worldwide over the course of just four years remember four years so between the events of world war one the armenian genocide by the ottoman empire and the spanish flu epidemic all of which took place between 1914 and 1918, the world saw a death toll of 42 million people. 42 million people. That's the equivalent of the entire populations of 23 U.S. states disappearing. And old Wyoming, the smallest state in the Union population-wise, would be gone 69 times over. Yeah, we'd be. We'd be gone. A lot. And that's not including the millions of people killed in the Russian Civil War during this time, as that started in 1917 and didn't actually end until the early 1920s. So I didn't include that, those statistics into the 42 million people dying during 1914 to 1918. Well, with all these depressing numbers, why are we being so depressing? We're supposed to be talking about the Roaring Twenties and all the glitz and glamour and what it looked like in Fremont County. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, even in Fremont County, the Roaring Twenties weren't all that glitz and glam. I mean, we weren't dealing with Bolshevik revolution, but we were dealing with our very own sheep wars and the odd, rather gruesome murder that popped up. Yeah, we could spend the entire 2020s and then some discussing just what made the years between 1919 and 1930 stand out amongst all the others. Really, it was no surprise that things were going to change thanks to the passage of the 18th and 19th Amendments to the U.S. Constitution, those being prohibition of the manufacture and sale of alcohol uh, in the U.S. and the prohibition of the denial of the right to vote based on sex, respectively. Mm-hmm. A.K.A. women were now allowed to vote. Yep. Well, they couldn't deny people to vote based on their, you know, male or female. They denied a lot of other people the right to vote for a variety of other reasons, but that's a whole nother podcast topic. Um, So although Fremont County, being in Wyoming, had been letting women vote in elections since 1870, we were the trendsetters there, um, whether or not women of Wyoming took advantage of their legal right to vote was another matter altogether, but the manufacture or sale of alcohol... Like, come on. Now, that was a topic all men and women in the 1920s had an opinion on. Yeah, Wyoming was one of the last states to ratify the 18th Amendment. While the 18th Amendment did not outlaw the consumption of liquor, it made it incredibly difficult to legally manufacture or sell alcohol, which in turn made it hard to consume. So please note, wonderful listeners of ours, that we're not here to debate the validity or need for prohibition. Uh, Zach and I are just here to discuss what exactly happened when prohibition, the jazz age, and economic prosperity of this decade hit Fremont County. And one thing's for sure, I can I can tell you what happened when Prohibition hit Dubois, and that is not much. Uh, between the Scandinavian tie hacks around Dubois, whose beer-making skills were legend in the region, and the Italian coal miners near Hudson in Fremont County, uh, whose wine-making skills were bought with literally gold leaf from the river, uh, Prohibition only existed on the books in most places here. Marshals performed law enforcement in rural Wyoming, and Dubois only had one marshal stationed in the town at the, ti- at the time in the 20s. According to records, Dubois actually went through 10 marshals during that decade, some serving less than a month of duty. They clearly had better things to do with their lives, yeah. apparently. So historians often joke that towns in the American West began with three buildings, a bar to drink at, a bank to get money for drinking at, and a church to forgive the sins that drinking and money bring. Dubois, Wyoming had its fair share of colorful characters and establishments of, in its younger days, many who left their mark on the town's history. Forest stranger Nick Johnson came to Dubois in 1926 and 27, and sometime after that he wrote a poem called Dubois, the City of Sin. The opening verse to Nick Johnson's poem is, At the foot of the Wind River Mountains lies Dubois, the city of sin, with its air of peace and charity but corrupt and evil within. So what made Nick Johnson call Dubois the city of sin? Well, my boss and I joke about this a lot because you wouldn't really think about Dubois being the city of sin. Um, But despite being a federal employee, Nick Johnson frequented the dance scene around the Upper Wind River Valley where alcohol flowed freely. And several other locals, including the school principal and the town's mayor, uh, also attended these dances where drinking was just as common as the foxtrot. And these dances were just as glitzy, if a little more rustic, as dances in urban cities. Women dressed up in the latest fashions. Men shined their two-toned shoes. Um, the Dubois Museum has an Art Deco beaded purse that one Dubois resident made by hand with nothing more than a picture for, or from a picture in the Sears catalog to go off of. But, I mean, Nick saw a lot of the ugly parts or the yeah. really illegal parts of activities in Dubois. A.K.A. the fun parts. 
disclaimer. We're not advocating breaking our laws. Um, in addition to these ranch dances, Dubois also possessed a mixture of bars, brothels, pool halls, and gambling dens during the 1920s and 30s. Those also might be the inspiration of Nick Johnson's poem. One of these bar-slash-brothel-pool-hall combinations was the Smokehouse Saloon, which the Dubois Museum just did in an article in on County 10's Look Back feature. Yeah, and a picture that we had accompanying this article is it's this like rectangular mirror and it is salacious to say the the least because there's this lady in like a short dress and she's like picking up her skirt to show off her stocking lines. It's very risque. And yeah, it dates back to the late 1920s, early 1930s, and it's an advertisement for the Smokehouse Saloon. So one of the best known speakeasies in Dubois, though, because like a lot of places, there were a lot of speakeasies around the nation um, during Prohibition. And one of the best known ones in Dubois was called Walt's Place. And so the building was built in 1921, where, as records say, you could get soft drinks as well as the hard stuff. Um, (laughs) And unlike most speakeasies in cities, there was no secret back room to Walt's place, no basement bar or hidden attic. Its store opened right off of Main Street. Yeah, that's pretty gutsy. Yeah, I mean, well, other Dubois residents weren't so comfortable with flouting the law of prohibition and were a little more creative when it came to manufacturing, selling, and distributing alcohol during the time when it was illegal. Like, for example, I love one of the stories that an old-timer told me is that haystacks in fields along Horse Creek were held, were like caches of whiskey. That's where you would have haystacks marked on like the secret map and it would be saying like this one's empty this one should have whiskey in it um and then another old timer remembers being a kid and going for sunday drives in the like family wagon with the entire family which turned out to just be covers for delivering jugs of moonshine made at stills hidden in the dense forests around town you mean that's not why you go on sunday drives today um delivering moonshine (laughs) no i can't say i've ever done that oh i'd need a different side hustle i guess (laughs) Just kidding, mom. <laughs> I would be like, just kidding, wife of mine. Oh, yeah, that too. I promise not to get thrown in jail <laughs> on purpose. Yeah. Um, so if you went down to the, the river to Riverton and Lander, you'd find similar tactics employed by people producing and or distributing alcohol. An article in the Lander Journal from September 19th, 1920, deals one bootlegging account. Apparently, Deputy Sheriff Frank Wise and Night Marshal E.A. Wilson arrested one man named Archie for public drunkenness at the fairgrounds. They asked the men where he'd gotten his alcohol, and his honest response surprised them. Room 46, Fremont Hotel. So if you're going to get drunk in public in the 1920s, I mean, that's just a bad idea because you're not supposed to be drunk anywhere, let alone in public. But anyway, so apparently this man visited the room 46 at the Fremont Hotel, and the first stories of the Fremont Hotel were built in 19, or 1891 by Jerry Sheehan. Um, I can never remember how to pronounce his name, but they were built in 1891, but with the coming of the railroads in the early 1900s and increased visitors, a third and fourth floor were added after that. Apparently this was like the first four-story building in all of Wyoming at the time. But the Fremont Hotel was located at the corner of 3rd Street and Main Street, where Central Bank and Trust is located today, until 1971 when a fire destroyed the building. I think there's also a look back article about that, if I'm not mistaken. That might be where I got this information. Yeah. Go check it out. County 10 look back features. (laughs) Uh, So anyway, in September of 1920, the Fremont Hotel was the site of an illegal but well-attended bootlegging operation. 
When the deputy sheriff and night marshal paid a visit to room 46 at the Fremont Hotel, they found two men by the names of Frank Miller and Andrew Ofsted in that room. They denied having had or sold any liquor, but the officers found four suitcases filled with booze under the bed. Apparently, these men were selling pints of whiskey for $7.50, which is $96 a pint in today's money. That is a tall price for a short bottle. That's right. Um, according to more records, these two men were promptly arrested and put in the cell next to Archie, the drunken man <laughs> who led to their arrest, which is, you know, perfect yeah. karma, justice, whatever you want to call it. So, but other towns like Hudson and Riverton also had their fair share of bootlegging incidences and general Roaring Twenties shenanigans. Well, according to one ad in the Riverton Review in May of 1920, there was something that else that was a bigger problem than prohibition. A bigger problem than prohibition? Yeah. What, a grizzly bear in town? Wash day drudgery, obviously. The oh. Fremont County Laundry Company's hilarious ad urges readers, whether you vote wet or dry on the prohibition question, and this is a quote, whether you favor repeal, modification, or strict enforcement of the 18th Amendment, you must decide at once a far more vital problem. What shall be done at the wash day in this house? And it basically just, it even had a ballot on one side of the ad for the husband to fill out to check boxes from. And he's like, one of the things was that you're tired of poorly made wash day meals. And like on the wife's side, it was things like you, all of the wash day drudgery makes it hard for you to, perform your other wifely duties of, you know, raising the children and all that other kind of stuff. Um, anyway, just, so, I think that most people probably uh, had a more direct impact of their lives from prohibition than from this ad. So uh, it soon became a major theme of Riverton newspapers with numerous stories of the county sheriff's office busting stills and hauling bootleggers to jail. Um, in April 1920, the Riverton Review, by the way, the Riverton Review is the most cheekily written old newspaper I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, anyway, he, uh, the Riverton Review reported that on, on Monday, the authorities went to Hudson where they found that fermented grape juice was being poured out at 20 cents a libation. At Joe Renovich's pool hall, they seized a barrel containing about 35 gallons of the stuff and brought it to the county seat to be held as evidence. While it looks like very poor quality of a Bino, B-I-N-O, it apparently has a well-defined kick. And that's vino with a B, apparently sloppy Spanish version of vino or wine. So sloppy Spanish and Spanglish slang, or should we call it Splanglish? Splanglish. Splanglish, were apparently a part of the Riverton Review's reporting, um, really just slang in general, uh, reporting on prohibition stories. In September of 1920, authorities conducted a raid against two women at a Riverton rooming house. The paper reports that, quote, the girls were busy destroying the evidence when the law entered. However, sufficient evidence was secured that there was a, a warrant to his honor, spelled H-I-Z-Z-O-N-E-R, um, binding the pair over a, over, binding the pair over to district court. They were then given the choice of producing a bond of a thousand dollars or languishing in the Hoosgow, spelled H-O-O-S-G-O-W, until district court convenes. So Hoosgow is slang for jail and is derived from the Spanish word Hoosgado. 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 Wow, I'm. Super terrible at any type of pronunciation, even of English words, um, which means judgment. And so, are we sure that this writer of the newspaper just wasn't drunk himself? Maybe that's his spelling <laughs> issues. He just, well, I actually looked it up. Hoosgow was actually a pretty common slang term for jail in the 1920s. So, just, just the use of slang in that newspaper um, cracked me up. Anyway, uh, later in the decade, that same paper reported that 
on another raid, quote, at Lysite, a ravine off from the railroad construction camps had been utilized by the alleged vice harpies as the place to stage their operations. A dance floor had been constructed on open ground in the ravine, which was concealed from view of all except those who knew how to reach the place. At either end of the dance floor stood a sheep wagon in each of which resided a woman and an alleged bootlegger. Six gallons of whiskey was seized by the officers when the inmates of the sheep wagons were arrested. That is good old Wyoming ingenuity. I know. It's, like, it's, what do we have here that we could do this from? Sheep wagons? Okay, let's yep, do let's, it. I just the lengths that people went through to to defy prohibition are I don't know in, in like a a strange and kind of weird way almost inspirational almost I mean <laughs> again we're not advocating for breaking laws but it's it's a really interesting social kind mm-hmm. of question about if you do not agree with something that the government is doing or something that you know your local government is doing like at what point do you say screw it and i'm gonna do my own thing or again not advocating breaking laws but we are advocating and using your you know constitutional rights of various things and also learning about these interesting periods in history which are really really fun to learn yes because i mean reading these old newspaper articles reading these diaries that we have in the collections mind you there all of the stuff is that we use for our records and archives that we use for these podcasts are available at our museum you just have to fill out a research request and come hang out with us for a few hours. Um, but you can read these newspaper clippings and these diaries yourself. So if you ever want to, um, especially during the Roaring Twenties, because that was just a, like we said earlier, that decade just, I mean, it gave the 60s a run for its money. Yeah. And it was, it was glitzy, it was glamorous, it was dirty and dusty and ugly in some points. But, I mean, that's it was the Roaring Twenties. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, then... There was a bust, and not just a regional bust, which Wyoming it was pretty is and was pretty good and used to dealing with. Um, October 29th on 1929, on a normal Tuesday that history would never call normal again, the whole nation felt that bust. Yeah, historians and economists view Black Tuesday as a pivotal reason in the emergence of the Great Depression. So combined with mass population movements, there was some overproduction of agricultural produce, falling consumer purchasing with massive debt thanks to easy credit, loose money. And it was a formula for not just a bust, but a pretty substantial crash. And shortly after that crash uh, came the end of Prohibition. Wyoming repealed Prohibition in 1933. So as I was just kind of looking through our stash of Prohibition-centric materials... Um, I found the Riverton Chronicle reported in 1932 in December that Fremont County's supply of Christmas bootleg whiskey took an awful jolt when federal officers seized liquor manufacturing equipment capable of producing 200 gallons of whiskey a day. And what's what's kind of interesting is you look through just one right after another as Prohibition goes on. Newspaper reporting from early Prohibition era seems to be much more supportive of the Prohibition movement. And later on, it's like, Dang it, they got the booze that I was going to drink. And and so you can just kind of see like public sentiment wane for for that um that policy. And and so what's interesting is is they had this big bust um in around Christmas of 1932 and then just 5 months later in 1933 a Riverton Review headline announced the end of the repeal of prohibition. Uh the headline read Beer is here for all who have been on an anxious seat for it. So apparently before Prohibition went into effect, and I can't remember the specific date, um, tons of people throughout Wyoming apparently went on the spree 
buying alcohol and like stacking, like stashing these huge amounts of alcohol because again, it was only illegal to manufacture and sell the alcohol. Mm -hmm. So it's this idea that if they had, you know, built up the stash of years worth of alcohol, technically they were never breaking the law. Well, and and the the Wyoming Supreme Court would later affirm that as well. Mm -hmm. So it's just kind of interesting because like, Wyomingites, they liked their liquor then, they liked their liquor now. Yep. Um, but with corruption at every level of the state and a general disregard for federal interference in what many Wyomingites perceived as both a cultural and economic necessity, prohibition ended as an unsuccessful 14-year-long experiment in curbing the state's alcohol consumption. And Fremont County survived this national bust. We're not saying that everyone got off scotch-free, um, nothing too drastic happened. Most of Fremont County's wealth was tied up in land and natural resources like wood, coal, and oil. And those markets hadn't dried up like steel and construction markets had during the last years of the 1920s. So tourism died down, but it didn't disappear. So Lander was still a moving and a shaking while Riverton remained a railroad hub for decades and actually experienced substantial growth during the Great Depression as the irrigation projects of the 1920s and early 30s expanded the area's agricultural potential. It's, and it's today, it's still the seat of commerce for the county. Um, hello, Walmart. Yeah. So people moved away. They moved back in. A bank in Dubois closed down. But unlike cities in like New York City, where homelessness, bankruptcy abounded, and temporary villages called Hoovervilles sprang up, um, most families in Fremont County managed to continue eking out a living. It also probably helped that if you were going to jump out of a window in a building in Wyoming, it wasn't very far to fall, so you're probably going to be all right. The tallest building in Wyoming at that time was like four yeah. four floors. I mean, so. it would hurt. <laughs> if you landed on your head, I'm sure you wouldn't be getting up. But That's, <laughs> well, I, I took us on a little morbid tangent there, but it, that's all right. Like we said, the Roaring Twenties were glitzy and glamorous, but also, you know, there was a lot of ugly stuff that day. I mean, yeah. Black Tuesday, again, we could talk about Black Tuesday a lot, but we're trying to stay on topic. Yep. Um, but it was a terrible day for a lot of people. So with that, uh, with that day and that decade, that decade that began with Aurora and is one of the most romanticized, talked about and nostalgic decades of the Western culture went out with a pitiful sputter. Uh, the Roaring Twenties quickly became the Dirty Thirties. Yeah, we historians were really creative with nicknaming yeah. our decades, but... Ladies and gentlemen, the Dirty 30s is a completely different topic. Um, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Rediscover the Winds, a Wyoming history podcast. We have tons more podcast episodes planned for you guys. Next month is Women's History Month, and we are going to be looking at the changing role of women in Wyoming's censuses. Sensei? No, that's not. No, censuses. Sensei is like a karate teacher, isn't it? Uh, Sure. Okay. If you liked what you heard today, like us on Facebook at Rediscover the Winds and make sure to subscribe to our channel on Stitcher, Podbean, Spotify, or any other podcast platform you might be using. You can also find us at 10cast.county10.com. If you've already followed us on our various platforms, thank you. Your support means the world to us. Uh, we hope you guys get the chance to visit our museums or attend some of our upcoming events. So the snow might not be stopping, but neither are we. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, we at the museum system in Fremont County have, se well, several events coming up this year, but some of the more recent ones are ones you won't want to miss. So mark your calendars, February 14th. Um, hopefully this episode comes out before that, but on, on the Friday, the Friday after we're recording this, the Riverton Museum is having our annual murder mystery Valentine's Day blowout. It's a big fundraiser for us, but it's also, speaking of the Roaring Twenties, it's a Roaring Twenties theme. 
we're going to be dressed up as a speakeasy called the Juice Joint, and we get to play a life-size game of Clue and find out who who murdered whom. The great who done it. The great who done it. Uh, we have a few tickets left. They're going. We're almost sold out of that, but as of this recording, there's a few left. So call or stop by if that's something you're interested in. I know I would be, but unfortunately, I'll be working. Um, so Wyoming Community Bank sponsors all Discovery Speaker Series, and they are free and open to the public. And apparently, the museum system failed to communicate because March 12th is the day everything is happening yeah. in the Fremont County Museum System. It's a good day. It, I mean, it's a great day. It's a Thursday. Um, so at the Lander Museum um, is a awesome talk that really draws in the Roaring Twenties topic. Uh, it's The talk is titled Lander in 1920. Uh, March 12th, like we said, is a busy day for the Fremont County Museums. Museum site manager Randy Wise at the Lander Fremont County Pioneer Museum, um, has, who has joined us a few times on the podcast, will host an illustrated talk on Lander 100 years ago. So come out and learn how Lander has changed in the past 100 years. And if Lander isn't in your wheelhouse, then come on over to Dubois and our museum, where Wyoming Game and Fish Department's non-game mammal biologist Nicole, I am so sorry, I have no idea how to pronounce your last name, Bjornley? Bjornley, sure. Um... Our apologies to Nicole if we got that wrong. I, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, but it's Wyoming Game and Fish's non-game mammal biologist, um, and she will discuss Wyoming's smallest canid role in biodiversity, the struggles it faces, um, and what Game and Fish are doing to study their these char- charismatic species. And for the fact that I didn't actually name the species, it's the swift fox. So they're cute little critters that have a... Sp- surprisingly big impact on mm. their environments. Well, if Dubois is too far to travel or you just hate cute furry animals, <laughs> um, come to the Riverton Museum on that same day at 6.30 p.m. So we are right now working on completing a decent remodel of, of our basement gallery space. We're putting some new paint up and you know doing some stuff with the flooring and lighting and stuff. And when that's done, it's going to be just part of a series of rotating exhibits. Our first major exhibit down there, um, as part of that, we're getting the original KVOW Broadcasting Council, the first AM radio station in Fremont County. So I guess the first radio station, period, in Fremont County. And as part of that, Ernie Over, who right now is at the Wind River Radio Network, he's going to be stopping by and giving a talk about the history of radio and broadcasting in the county, which... Anybody who's lived in the county for any time at all knows the name Ernie Over. He's he's a household name. He's been in the news business for at least a couple of centuries. I don't know. He sounds seems like he's forever. Good for it, he is. Yeah, I mean, I think that he probably started his career about the time that the 1920s kicked off. And <laughs> judging by just at least my whole life, I, I've seen his name in, in newspaper and in radio and on on line sources. He's just been everywhere. So. So March 12th, everybody, remember that yep. date because at 7 o'clock at any one of our museums. 6.30 at Riverton. Okay, fine. Sorry. Yeah. There'd still be something going on yeah. at 7 o'clock. Yep, you're right. 6.30 to 7, you, you know, take your pick. Just show up. Something will be happening at our museum system. That's right. Um, and then I guess one other thing that I'll mention, if uh, you haven't, if you're not subscribed to the Riverton Local Ladies podcast and you just can't get enough of my sultry voice, I was on the most recent episode of that that podcast as well. So uh, hop on over to that and check it out. That's another one of our 10 cast partners. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the Dubois Museum is opening 
or yeah, opening some new exhibits that they just put up, including one on the Roaring Twenties in Fremont County. So oh, nice. to wrap up our Roaring Twenties uh, podcast episode, we want to say thanks again for listening to this Wyoming History Podcast. I'm your host, Kirsten, from the Dubois Museum and Wind River Historical Center. And I'm Zach from the Riverton Museum. We look forward to continuing this adventure to rediscover the winds with you next time. Music for this episode is a song titled Valencia, written by Jose Padilla in 1924 and performed on my parents' 1909 Apollo reproducing piano.